Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I would encourage you to take it and open it. I always say, you know, grab it and open it, and I see mostly nobody doing anything. Because we put the scripture on the screens for you, and that's fine. That's the, we do that for you, um, but we're not going to do that tonight. So um, we're going to go through the whole chapter of M Matthew 27, um, which is a, a long narrative. And if you'd like to follow along, you can. If you'd like to just listen to the story, that's fine too. Um, but it might help you to be able to read along as we go through this. We're going to read through the whole account of the suffering and death and burial of Jesus on that first Good Friday. Um, so I'll only make a few comments as we go. So if you're starting to get a little nervous about the scripture going long, that's the whole thing we're doing here tonight. Okay, so I'll just give you a few comments as we go. Uh, so first, we'll have six parts. Part one, first we'll see that the Son of Man was betrayed. Matthew 27, starting with verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this money into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for, the, for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. So Jesus knew and had told his disciples on at least three different occasions before arriving in Jerusalem that he was to be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law or the elders as Matthew records who would condemn him to death and would hand him over to the Gentile rulers to be killed. Jesus knew that this would happen, but he still came. This wasn't an accident. The cross was central to the mission of Jesus. Now, part of the Roman occupation of Judea at this time meant that the Jewish people could not carry out uh, capital punishments on their own. The chief priests and the elders had condemned Jesus, but they couldn't put him to death which is why Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor in Jerusalem, was involved. Jesus had also known that one of his closest followers, Judas Iscariot, was going to betray him. And if you've ever been betrayed by someone close to you, I'm sure you know how much that hurts. Judas had sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but then later apparently changed his mind and couldn't live with what he had done. What a tragedy. 
If only he had confessed his sin to Jesus, perhaps things might have been different. Second, we see the Son of Man condemned. Verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew that it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. An innocent man is condemned to die. A guilty man is freed. Religious leaders are acting out of self-interest. A political leader is acting out of fear. And there's a crowd close to a riot. Now, Pilate didn't find that Jesus had committed any crime, much less one deserving of death. But in the end, Pilate did what every corrupt and cowardly leader does. He did what was easy and not what was right. He washed his hands of the blood of Jesus when, if he only knew, he needed the blood of Jesus to wash him. Now, there's a tradition, especially in the African church, that Pontius Pilate became a Christian later. But God only knows at this point. The sad irony here is that Jesus was, in fact, the king of the Jews. He was the Jewish Messiah. He was the anointed one sent by God, sent from heaven to save God's people. He deserved shouts of praise and glory from the crowd, not shouts of death. But look at Jesus in this scene, calm, not anxious. 
not fighting for his rights, not even arguing. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, the prophet said. Why? Because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Third, we see the son of man abused. Verse 26. Then Pilate released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. So before he even got to the cross, Jesus was betrayed, falsely accused, unjustly condemned, whipped, stripped, mocked, and beaten. He endured all manner of physical and emotional abuse. He was publicly humiliated. If you ever had to endure abuse, if you were ever physically or emotionally abused, Jesus knows what that feels like. He understands. Fourth, we see the Son of Man crucified. Verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved him others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So Cyrene was a city on the coast of North Africa. And Simon was probably in town for the Passover celebration. 
The reason Simon was forced to carry the cross isn't stated here, but is presumably because Jesus was already, had already been whipped and beaten. Both of those could have killed him. Now, Matthew doesn't spend much time explaining crucifixion, probably because the original audience would have been very familiar with this brutal practice. They would have seen it. They would have understood it. But for us, to be crucified typically meant that you were nailed to a cross in the shape of a T or an X with nails through the wrists and the ankle bones. The Romans weren't the first to invent crucifixion, but maybe they perfected it. They were experts at this, knowing how to prolong the pain, sometimes for days. People were often crucified at eye level to increase their shame, so people could insult them to their face while they were suffering and dying. Eventually, people couldn't continue to push themselves up to be able to breathe and would either die of heart failure or of suffocation. It was so barbaric that the Romans only crucified foreigners or slaves or traitors, not regular citizens. The fact that Jesus was willing to be crucified for anyone, much less for us, is astonishing. But even here on the cross, people misunderstood Jesus and they mocked him. Fifth, we see the Son of Man died. Verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling to Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now many curious things happened when Jesus of Nazareth died. First, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies in the middle of the temple from the rest of the temple in Jerusalem was torn in two. 
This barrier that represented the separation between God and mankind was no longer needed because the death of Jesus made a way for the people to be reconciled to God and to be with him. And it was torn from top to bottom because God did it. Second, there was an earthquake. Now, this often happens when God shows up. But I can't help but wonder if the earth itself knew that something incredible was happening to its creator. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And the cross of Christ provided a way for people to become children of God. Did the earth know this? Third, the bodies of many of the saints were raised to life. And I wish we had more information about this, don't you? (laughs) Matthew just is like, yeah, and some people rose from the dead. Anyways, um, (laughs) Jesus was buried. (laughs) What? Well, the life, life after death is one of the main consequences of the person and work of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So the death of Jesus means that we can have eternal life. Death and grave no longer have any hold. Is it any wonder that a few bodies came back to life that day? Well, fourth, fourth curious thing that happened in this section is that a centurion, that is a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred other soldiers, saw all that had happened and he made a confession of faith. Surely he was the son of God. Finally, amidst all of the mocking and the lies and the false accusations, we find a true confession truly made by a very unlikely person, one of the Gentiles who had been in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful one day to find out that Pilate and the centurion came to faith that day? Surely Jesus, the son of man, was also the son of God. Now he was constantly saying things that only God could say. And he was constantly doing things that only God can do. Surely he was the son of God. Fifth and finally, Matthew records that a company of women had stayed until the bitter end. Now Jesus always had women in in his group of disciples. He called them to follow him, he taught them. Some of them even funded his ministry. Now this is a curious fact. It sounds normal to us today, but this is really historically unusual because if all of this was made up later, as some people claim, you would never make up a story where the male apostles are mostly missing while the female followers of Jesus courageously stayed to the bitter end. It's so historically strange that the only explanation is that it must be what actually happened. Apostles like Matthew 
told the story this way because it was the truth. Now, so many of the details of this story are unexpected. They're shocking in many ways. But now Jesus was dead. He didn't merely faint on the cross. He was dead. The one who had healed so many, the one who had fed and taught so many people, the one who had even raised the dead himself was dead. To the shock and the dismay of his friends, family, and followers, Jesus was dead. Some people had expected him to raise an army and drive the Roman oppressors out of Israel. Others had expected him to establish the kingdom of God on earth, a kingdom that would last forever, a kingdom where Jesus would be king. But no one expected him to actually willingly die. They just didn't understand, not yet. Sixth, we see the Son of Man buried. Verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. This is God's word. So the stage is set for Easter Sunday. When you know what's coming, as Justin said today, you can't help but feel a little hopeful anticipation. But on this first Good Friday, hope was gone. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, was betrayed, condemned, abused, crucified, died, and was buried. But why? Why? The answer, my friends, is because of God's great love. Jesus died because of the grace and the mercy of God for sinners. 
On the cross, Jesus made atonement for our sins. That means he paid the price that we could never pay. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. He took our shame and he gives us his grace. He takes our death and gives us his life. He took our abandonment and gave us his sonship and his inheritance. This is what the Son of Man accomplished. This is why the Son of God died for you and for me. So today, may we join all the angels and all the saints and every creature under heaven from glory on down to this earth and look again with wonder upon the cross of Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, what you have gone through, what you endured for us changes everything. Thank you for suffering for us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for enduring these false accusations, this abuse, this betrayal for us. Lord Jesus, I pray for us today that you would fill us with faith, that you would fill us with hope knowing what is yet to come, that only a few more days and you would rise again from the dead and hope would, would crash back into the world once again, that the way that you opened on Calvary was now an open invitation for all Lord Jesus, give us hope, give us faith. Fill us with eager expectation, not just for this Sunday, but for the time in, at some point when you will return and once again, hope will be with us in person. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray all this in your name, amen.